0: This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. And a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be with you. Great to be in your company. This beautiful, hot Wednesday afternoon here in Johannesburg. It is just 11 minutes past 2 and um, we're on Judaism 101.9. I think as we head into the holidays and this uh, silly season as they sometimes call it, the holiday season, we probably are all au fait with all the public holidays that are coming up. Um, We know them all probably by their regular names, of course. There's uh, December the 16th and there is uh, the 25th and the 26th of December, which everybody knows about. There's the 1st of January and in some places the 2nd. And we enjoy... The public holidays as they're dotted around the December-January break. And, of course, it gives us an added excuse to take off um, a lot of time, to spend time, hopefully, in great, wonderful pursuits of uh, relaxation, of uh, getting together with the family, of uh, doing all these great and wonderful things. But I'm not sure if we always are that aware of the fact that there are some important Jewish dates ...that come up uh, during this period of time. And that we cannot be forgiven for because we've just come out of the festival of Hanukkah... ...and wasn't it a beautiful Hanukkah here in Joburg? And I guess around the country, around the world as well. Beautiful in that we helped to create so much light, to bring light into the darkness... ...as we have spoken about so many times. And to end this um, secular year on a high note of uh, positivity and the positive energy that Hanukkah spells and that Hanukkah brings for each and every one of us. It was indeed uh, glorious, was wonderful. It was beautiful to be a part of it. But now we head into a bit of a dull month, the month of Tevit, Tevis. This is the month that we're in today is the fourth of the month already. Um, so we're headlong into the month of Tavis, and Tevis is well known for nothing really, um, in that there are no holidays, no important dates, so to speak, no festive dates, except for the fact that the first couple of days, sometimes two and then sometimes three days of uh, the beginning of Tevis or uh, the festival of Hanukkah, but then it kind of dulls down and it becomes um, this kind of dreary, um, unexciting kind of a month. Other than for the fact that it often coincides with the December school holidays and January and so on, although, of course, next year things are going to be at least three and a half weeks later, three weeks later rather, on the calendar. And so <coughs> we're going to be well into January when Tavis comes around. But this month of Tavis or Tavit is um, a bit of a dull month. But um, there are some really serious dates that come up in this month And perhaps that is what we will address today Thinking about the serious, serious dates that we should know about During the month of Tavis, Let's begin by um, perhaps the last of the three Which is the best known And that is Asaraba Or Asiraba Tevis as it's known classically speaking The tenth of Tevet the 10th of Tavit is going to occur next week on Tuesday, and that, if you look on your calendars, is a public fast day. And we'll talk a little bit later about why it is that we fast. And when we talk about a public fast day is because there are several dates that precede it that are known not as public fast days, but as fast days for the righteous, fast days for the tzaddikim. And those are the immediate days that precede the 10th, the 9th of Tavis. And the eighth of Tavis. So, in other words, while everybody around the country is thinking about June the sixteenth, sorry, it's December the sixteenth. Rather, oh, I'm still stuck in June. December the sixteenth, which is um, on Sunday, and of course, they've made public. Holidays On uh, days that follow Sunday public holiday So Monday will be the public holiday celebrating the 16th Albeit that it's already the 17th of December While we have uh, those dates lining up there They actually happen to be sad dates in the Jewish calendar They are dates on which our sages had originally deemed That the entire community should fast But they've been taken upon by um, the righteous as it's known The uh, fast days for the tzaddikim For the righteous And um, we actually only do the one fast Publicly The public fast of the 10th of Tavis And one of the things that we do think about On those days On that day is The preceding days The 9th and the 8th And all that they hold in store for us as well And all that they date back in history For us as well So what are the 8th, the 9th, and the 10th of Tavis all about? Well, the 8th of Tavis marks something interesting, fascinating, and really quite startling in Jewish history. It was the day that marks the date on which the Torah for the first time was translated into Greek. Now, we've just come out of a uh, festival of Hanukkah where we celebrate the triumph of the few over the many, of uh, the triumph over what was known as the Greeks, the Hellenists, the Assyrian Greeks of the age of uh, the temple. And um, we know the Hanukkah story well by now. And uh, here we're talking about the fact that under a king by the name of Ptolemy, and that's Ptolemy with a P, Ptolemy, um, there was the translation of the Torah into Greek. And it was marked, strangely enough, by the Jewish people as a calamitous day. As a calamitous day um, compared, actually, by our sages as a day that compares with the day on which the golden calf was made. A calamitous day, indeed, a difficult day for the Jewish people. And they deemed that it should possibly be, probably be, a fast day. This wasn't to be overshadowed by the events of the following day in Dateline, but not in terms of actually chronology, and that was on the 9th of uh, Tavis, many, many years ago in the time of um, Ezra and Nehemiah. It marks the day on which Ezra, the scribe, and Nehemiah, who faithfully led the Jewish people during their return from the Babylonian exile, um, it was the day on which they passed away. The site, of Ezra and Nehemiah, And then the 10th, the 10th of Tavis, is the day in which Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, actually laid siege to Jerusalem. He then uh, beleaguered the city uh, for three years until eventually its walls were breached on the 9th of Tammuz during the third year of the siege. And um, we all know what happened then. It was on the 17th of Tammuz that um, they actually uh, finally got into uh, the heart of the city, and on um, one month later, from the 9th of Tammuz to the 9th of Av, eventually the temple lay in ruins. And so this was marked as the beginning of um, that terrible siege that led to the first destruction of the temple. But we commemorate on the 8th and 9th two other calamities, the calamity of the translation of the Torah into Greek and the calamity of the passing of Ezra and Nehemiah. And we'll certainly go into why those are calamities per se. Why is it such a tragedy that... um, the Torah was translated into Greek. On translations, good. Um, wouldn't that be helping the whole world to find God, to find Torah, to be able to come closer to it? And we'll discuss that all um, a little bit later on. But. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elova. And welcome back. We're continuing with our uh, thoughts for today on the coming week. And in this coming week, some very special dates, the 8th, the 9th, and the 10th of Tavis. Um, bearing in mind that we are usually affay with the dates in the secular calendar, we need to be affay with the Dates in our Jewish calendar, and the 8th, the 9th, and the 10th, which is the 16th, the 17th, and the 18th of December, have a special significance. We mentioned the 8th was the day on which they finally translated the Torah into Greek under King Ptolemy. The 9th was the day on which we mourned the loss of Ezra and Nehemiah. And the 10th, the day on which Nebuchadnezzar breached, um, or not breached the walls, but laid siege to Jerusalem. That was the beginning. Of uh, the siege that eventually led to the destruction of the temple That's first temple under uh, the Babylonians Now, let's go back and take them in order And think about the tragedies Number one, what is so tragic? What is so special? What is so different, so unique? And why do we mark it in this way That we should have a day dedicated When we think about the, destruct- the translation rather, of the Torah into Greek What was so bad? Well, first of all, it seems that we have to unpack the intentions of a king by the name of Ptolemy who uh, ordered that the Torah be be translated into Greek and his intentions played out in the way that he went about um, the pursuit of this translation. We've got to put it in context. It was the beginning of the period of the second temple. Um, Israel was living under Persian domination and after the fall of the Persian Um, Empire, Um, Greece Inherited um, her place And Israel was then um, A subject of uh, Greek domination as of Course uh, with the story of Hanukkah, now one of the Greek Kings who succeeded Alexander Was known as Ptolemy Of Egypt and he Was the one who ordered the translation Of the Torah into Greek It seems that his intentions Were to ridicule his intentions were to try and prove to the world the um, fallibility of Torah, the fact that the Torah, which um, we brag about, you know, probably the very first lesson that I remember hearing from a rabbi in my life, um, which stuck with me always, was that study of Torah is uh, means that you have to have the ability to accept certain contradictions that doesn't make um, things um, Easy It doesn't make it And there's never really In Torah An absolute um, Right and wrong In many many cases And the idea that There are different opinions And the idea that There are different ways Of interpretation And the idea of the fact That the Torah Was given to us <coughs> In Kind of cryptic language In such a way That um, There are many Many different layers You know from a, a A Jewish point of view If you're studying The Hebrew alphabet And you take a look at a Hebrew letter, the Hebrew letter has a sound value. The sound value would be very similar to in any other language. For instance, the letter A or B or C in uh, the English alphabet has a sound value. We know that it's A or B or K. We know that that's the sound and so too with Hebrew. And Aleph is A, 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 I suppose, although it's really a silent letter and goes by the vowel that's under it. um, The bet is B and so on. When we go through the alphabet, however, and we go a little bit deeper, we realize that in Hebrew, the letters have a number value as well. And Aleph is one, a Bet is two, and so on. And so there is numbers attached. There are numbers attached rather. And then in addition to that, there is a picture value. If you take a look at any Hebrew letter, it looks like something, and that is often interpreted. But then how much more so once we start combining all of these letters together? I mean, go and explain to anybody that um, when Hashem created the world, that he took the letter Aleph and Vav and Resh, and he called it Or, and by pronouncing that word, light came into being. The power of God's creation was um, elicited by the saying of that word... Combining those letters together didn't only have a sound value It didn't only have a number value It didn't only have a picture value But it has a power in and of itself Now we could keep on going Because when you take any Hebrew word and any part of Torah There are layers upon layers upon layers Of different um, interpretations of ways that we could unpack And think about each and every letter Each and every word Each and every value and um, it is this huge, magnificent, and endless study, um, which is called Torah study, which really is unpacking it all. It's not just simply that it says in Torah A and it says in Torah B um, that this is how you must behave and this is what you must do and finished. And um, it's not open to any um, interpretation. Torah has all of these many, many different levels. The non-Jewish world has found great difficulty in understanding that concept. It's intrinsic and endemic to Torah study that there are always these different opinions, there are always these seeming contradictions and these abilities to interpret that is part and parcel of Torah study. That's what makes it so brilliant, that's what makes it so um, mag- magnificent and that's what really gives power to the concept of a um, of a an all-encompassing and all-incorporating God. Uh, That we believe in which um, is just beyond one's scope of one's mind and brain and capability and this is absolutely um, endemic to Torah study. Now when we take a look and when we think about Torah study in that context for somebody like Ptolemy this was going to be a point perhaps of ridicule. That if he could prove that if you got different rabbis with different opinions and different interpretations and you asked them to translate the Torah into another language, and in this case, ancient Greek, you got them to translate it into Greek, that you would be left with a ridiculous situation that you would have – As many as they were, you would have different Torahs. You would have different interpretations and everything would run haywire because how can you have a constitution? How can you have a rule book? How can you have a a code of conduct or behavior that um, is so ridiculous that it would be? Um, interpreted by so many in different, completely different ways Well, Ptolemy gathered together 72 elders He got together 72 rabbis and He did not bring them to the same place He did not introduce them to each other He did not tell them what they were going to be doing But he got hold of these rabbis and each one of them He placed into a room, solitary confinement Gave them quills, ink, parchment or paper Whatever existed at the time And he ordered them to translate the Torah into Greek. They were all scholars. They all knew how to do that. None of them had ever done it before. But each one was forced by the king to actually translate the whole Torah into Greek. And so they set about their task, each one individually, with no communication between them, with no ability to uh, contact each other. And um, at the end of it all, um, it came to fruition that, um, on the eighth of Tavis, some time later, um, they had all completed their translations, and um, presented to the king, hoping for uh, this kind of ridiculous scenario where each one would have a completely different manuscript, amazingly, amazingly, the Talmud records amazingly, they all came out with the Absolutely word-perfect, identical translation. A facsimile of um, each other. Absolutely perfect symmetry in their translations. And the Jewish people, like you or I would have done, uh, wanted to break out in celebration. What a great simcha. Think about the way that God had planted in the minds of these 72 elders the concept of – um, uniformity, that he had made them all think the same thoughts, that he'd made them all translate in the same way. You know, um, if you just want to think in a cute fashion just how um, a great a miracle it is when you can't get two Jews really to agree on just about anything. Could you imagine here that you had the whole Torah translated into Greek by 72 elders and every one of them was identical, identical translations into Greek? Well, he himself was blown away by this, uh, Ptolemy, as were um, all the Jews of the time. What a great miracle God had done on behalf of the Jewish people. And uh, the date happened to be the 8th of Tavis. So that's the date that we celebrate or commemorate or think about on this coming Sunday. Sunday is the 8th day in the month of Tavis. And yet the rabbis themselves, these great elders who had done this translation into Greek, came out and said, whoa, this is not a time for celebration. The cause for celebration um, should uh, be left for other occasions. This is not a Torah. This is not a day of celebration. In fact, this could be the most calamitous day um, in uh, all of Jewish history. And they compared it. They said this is compared to the day on which the golden calf was made. Now think about the imagery. Think about just how calamitous that was. We're still mourning for uh, the fact that the Jews uh, are still apologizing to God. are still asking God for mechila. We're asking God for repentance, uh, for penance, for tshuva, for the fact that um, our forebears worshipped the golden calf in the desert. And yet... Our sages compared the translation of the Torah into Greek to that. How does that all line up? And what were they so worried about? Well, they were upset at the fact that now the world would be stuck with this translation. And in fact, that they had taken away, so to speak, 69 other Possible interpretations of everything and then if you go to all the permutations, thousands of different interpretations, hundreds of thousands of different interpretations of the entire Torah um, that had now been, so to speak, lost if Greek was going to be the way that the world would um, listen to, would hear and would learn the Torah go back to the Holy Scriptures, and they were locked now into this interpretation, into this translation. And they foresaw the calamities that could come from it. And there have been... Um, Many such calamities, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but if we just think about this, that their foresight was that, whoa, we have done something here whereby we have limited Torah study. We have taken away so much um, life and interpretation of Torah. We have locked it into – we've kind of imprisoned Torah in this one translation. They said it should be a fast day. There should be a day on which we fast rather than celebrate. It's a day of calamity rather than of joy because now we have locked the Torah into One interpretation If we just think about the miracle Of their translations for a moment Well it was something phenomenal First of all and let's go to the stuff That's kind of the easiest For us all to follow We all know that the first three words In the uh, Hebrew Bible In the Torah are Bereshit bara elohim Bereshit bara elohim In the beginning God created Is the way that we would translate that Now all of them had the presence of mind To think through Bereshit means in the beginning. Bara means he created. Elohim means God. That if they were going to do a linear translation, if they were going to do a word-by-word translation, they would have to write in the beginning he created God. And right away it dawned on them or they understood that uh, there could be the most terrible heresy that could arise from that. Somebody or something created God. And they wanted to avoid that. So they then went to, in the beginning, God created, because we all know that that's the sense, of course, in the Hebrew, that the verb doesn't necessarily come before the noun. And, um, this was, um, the way that, um, that, um, that it works Here the verb bara comes before the noun The noun doesn't necessarily rather come before the verb And um, that was the way that Hebrew works And this is ancient Hebrew in the Torah So they all say, thought through And they said well in the beginning God created Would be a better translation But then they said no We've got to remember that Ptolemy And uh, the likes of Ptolemy And people at infinitum will always question Why there was a beginning before God And so all of them chose In this fascinating translation by the way, to translate the Torah beginning with the word God. And they all said, God created the beginning. Don't ask me what it is in ancient Greek. My Greek is not that good. But um, they all said, God created the beginning. And that is the way that we actually believe and understand that it should be. However, all the permutations were uh, therefore, so to speak, lost in the translation And this is why the 8th of Tavis became a day that we commemorate as a day of fasting, of tshuva, of repentance. Be back with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi and welcome back. Uh, Yes, uh, beautiful, beautiful songs there of Chabad. Taira Bredev, Mivilnzich Vaitazen, usually said when you part company, uh, so we say goodbye, my dear brothers. We hope to see you soon um, once again. So uh, appropriate, I guess, for people who are traveling away. Um, we hope to see you back soon. Now, we're getting back to the um, dates of the 8th, the 9th, and the 10th. I think that it's pretty obvious um, why the 9th should be a day of sadness. Ezra and Nehemia, great leaders of the Jewish people who led us back into Israel after the Babylonian exile and um By the way, they were responsible It was Ezra the the scribe Who was responsible for the establishment of regular Torah readings One of the things that we have until today That we do uh, from Ezra the scribe Um, They passed away on this day, the ninth, Which is going to be next Monday Um, They passed away on the ninth of Tavis And therefore a day of sadness And one of the days that it says that the righteous should fast Now, we then um, think about the 10th. What happened on the 10th of Tavis? Well, under the leadership of Joshua, Yeshua, we came into Israel, as we well know, and we were there, believe it or not, for 850 years until we were exiled by Nebuchadnezzar. 850 years. There were 440 years, actually, until King Solomon built the temple, and then the temple stood for 410 years. And then... And uh, we're told there were 21 generations um, that um, uh, lived during those times in Israel. So think about it. It was 850 years. Then came along Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, wicked king of Babylon, um, wanted to dominate the whole world as so many have done in the past. And, um, said about the siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of the base Amigdash. Now we know that a lot of it has got to do with the fact that, um, Hashem would not have allowed these things to happen were it not for the um, behavior of the people at the time, the fact that people were going off the rails, that people weren't observing um, godliness and Judaism and Torah and mitzvot and keeping to the sanctity of the sanctuary and all of that stuff. Um, Nevertheless, um, it was – uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who came, laid siege to Jerusalem, and he did so on the tenth of Tavis. After we had been in Israel for eight hundred and fifty years, remember that we returned then with Ezra and Nehemiah, and we were back there um, for four hundred and twenty years with uh, the second base. i mean with the second temple. So um, these are hundreds and hundreds of years in which the Jewish people occupied that place, the undisputed um, homeland of the Jewish people um, in Israel. Um, from time immemorial until today, and um, only because of people like Nebuchadnezzar or um, um, uh, Titus and the the Romans at a later stage uh, were we exiled, um, but we know that that is where our roots are, that is what we're all about, and that is where we actually belong. The Siege of Jerusalem... Uh, began a terrible period for the Jewish people because it actually led to the first exile. We talk about under Nebuchadnezzar, the first exile of the Jewish people after having occupied Israel. Remember that Israel um, had become our uh, place of home. It had become our place of Kedusha, of holiness. It was the promised land that God had promised to Abram and to Isaac and to Jacob. And it was the land that we had occupied from a foretime right until um, we had to go, for instance, uh, to Egypt in the in the days of uh, of Jacob to uh, to find food and uh, find Joseph there as the uh, as the head of the, the viceroy of Egypt and so on. Now, Israel, um, upon our return uh, from um, our slavery in Egypt. Um, We were there for 850 years, came along Nebuchadnezzar, laid siege to Jerusalem, which eventually led to the destruction of the temple. That exile began really all the exiles um, that um, we are still presently in. It began dark periods for the Jewish people. It began difficulties, problems, issues from uh, the fact that we had to live in foreign lands. (coughs) And the foreign domination put up with persecution, put up with anti-Semitism. All of those things actually can be attributed back to that very day that Nebuchadnezzar started to lay siege to Jerusalem. Um, all those hundreds and hundreds of years ago, um, but uh, the theme of it and the um, object of it and the prospect of it and the result of it is something that we're still living with today. And therefore, next week, Tuesday, Asarabatavis, the 10th of Tavis, a fast day commemorating all of that. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Ilovo. Hi, and welcome back. Yes, uh, just to sum up, we've been talking about the dates that are coming up in the Jewish calendar, the 8th, the 9th, and the 10th of Tavis. And uh, just remember that next week, Tuesday, is a fast day that actually commemorates all of these things. Um, and that fast day begins early, early in the morning. It's going to be really early here in uh, South Africa because we're now in summertime, of course, going all the way through until darkness um, on uh, Tuesday evening, but all day Tuesday is Asar Abitavis, the 10th of Tavis. this um, important fast day uh, commemorating all of these things and particularly the calamity of the beginning of the siege of Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar and the beginning of our difficult and harsh exiles um, since then. And so we fast And what is a fast day really all about? The concept of a fast day is to turn us to tshuva It's not just about making us feel lousy It's not just about making us feel hungry It's not just about making us feel thirsty In this um, particularly hot weather at the moment And it's going to be a pretty long fast In Sarebatevis in terms of South Africa Um, The fasts generally, the main ones Occur in a much closer uh, time frame And uh, it doesn't go on that long, of course if you're in Cape Town, it's going to be even longer um, on the end of the Fast of Tavis on Tuesday. Um, but remember to fast, remember to commemorate these days, and turn ourselves to Chuva. The whole concept of a fast is that we remember these calamities and we remember the fact that there are things that we need to fix up in our own armory, in our own spirituality, in our own. Pathways to God And in our own Torah learning And our own commitment to Mitzvot and so on And this is something that we certainly should all do And hopefully the 8th, the 9th, and the 10th Next week on uh, Sunday On Monday and Tuesday Will be days on which we'll be able to do all of that And then some Culminating on Tuesday with Asura This um, special commemorative, commemorative Fast day On which we um, think about all these things Hopefully do some tshuva And hopefully then uh, merit the greatest of all the miracles that we hope and pray for, the coming of Mashiach, the return to of our temple to Jerusalem, the return of our people um, uh, to everything of Kedusha, of holiness, and so on um, in such good times. And, of course, world peace and all the other wonderful things that go with it. It's been great being with you. I look forward to being back with you again next week, same time, same place, on Judaism 101.9. Um, Sir Rabbi Michael Katz wishing you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. And I'll be seeing you soon.